we will crown an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Oh, one thing though, I think I have to give credit to I wanted to do it at the beginning. Obviously, we've got a big thing about wrestlers singing their entrance music. Um, we're all fans of it. Um, and it doesn't happen on this pay-per-view, because as you said, Tinky, they all use unlicensed actual songs. But the fact that Paul Heyman effectively sings the entrance to the, t- the opening to the TV show gives him very high props. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review and observant listeners will have noticed by now that the title of this show is not entirely accurate because while we certainly do review wrestling, we don't quite do it completely at random, taking as we do a show that occurred during the time of year we are currently in and featuring that. There is of course though more than one way to be random, which is why for the first time ever today we are going EXTREME! with ECW's Living Dangerously 1999 pay-per-view. And to help me to do this today are a couple of eliminators on the show. Firstly, we have old man Perry Salmon Kerry. Oh, How's it going? That's, that's wonderful. To be fair, tenuous. But to be compared to Perry Saturn, to be honest, that's, that's, that's <laughs> made my week. He was getting teary for a second then. Well, because the, didn't he... Um, well, I, I think it was bollocks, but weren't there rumblings that he, like, saved some woman from getting shot or something like that? Well, And also, you notoriously had a long-standing love affair with the mop. I, yeah. Well, to be fair, that's, that continues. Unfortunately, I don't know anybody with a wood chipper, so they haven't uh, killed poor Moppy. Oh, what a, what a fucking man. Anyway, uh, I'm very glad to be here. Good. So, I, thank you for that wonderful welcome. And uh, with him today is his regular tag team partner, Tom Corona-Smith. Tom, how are you doing? To be honest, that's quite an insensitive name. <laughs> time of year, isn't it? Let's be honest. Corona-Smith. <laughs> Cronus. Uh, Tom uh, Cronus. Sorry, Tom. Uh, yeah, I'm very good. Apart from, you know, the, 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 the dig just then, I'm, uh, I'm all right, thank you. 
I'm not sure it's this time of year that's the problem. It's this time of life that's the problem. Um, but I think by the time this goes out, we, we, you know, we might all be done. And you like to think that in 2025, someone has worked through our exhaustive back catalogue and then they just go, huh, what's this? Corona. And who is this Tom Smith that they had to, because he, he got so angry one week, he just imploded about Tinky calling him the Corona man. And then slowly edging from the Corona man into just blaming Tom for the whole pandemic. <laughs> it was his fault, in fairness. Well, well to be fair, but he fucking those sharks, wasn't he? That's what he was doing, <laughs> dirty sod. Well, I do not say what we're, this is what our 10th episode? It is, episode recorded. 10 today, yeah. It's impressive that we've managed to get this far without ever mentioning COVID. That's true. And we've done it. We've done it when it's nearly at the end. Well, certainly in this country, it may be much worse elsewhere. But in in the UK, we're we're nearing apparently the end, although I'm sure there'll be a third and fifth and twelfth wave of it yet. Yes. We're we're notorious at at, um, missing when things are hot, though, because let's be honest, if we if we really should, if we were really taking things into consideration, we're, we're way pat. The shark jumped a long time ago on wrestling podcasts. <laughs> we jumped on that far too late. And now we're also jumping on COVID. Well, you're wearing a Hulkamania t-shirt as well, which, uh, you know, that, again, we've missed the boat on that, some some would say. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I kind of wish you hadn't drawn attention to this t-shirt, if I'm being honest. I put, <laughs> I put it on because I don't really want to be associated with Hulkamania that much these days. Yeah, but I'm sure you, I'm assuming you bought it like a long time ago. Yeah, I did. I, I bought was it. Was it just after he was accused of being a racist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were like, no, hey, they're cheap. This is yeah. going to blow over. Buy low, sell high. The price is <laughs> That's why you've been offering us like T-shirts every now and again. Hulk Hogan yeah. T-shirts. You bought them at like 10p a go. And now they're like, you're trying to sell them off at a quid. I've got 7,000 of them in the spare room. Desperate to offload. No one's having it. And the, the type of people that uh, that are into that sort of viewpoint, I don't want to engage with. Yeah. No, that's unfortunate. Tough, isn't it? That's unfortunate. Um, coming up on the show today, we have got the full review of Living Dangerously 99, the third episode of the Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast, a rundown of the first random wrestling review league table, and of course, the game. But first... As Tom said just a moment ago, we are on episode 10 today, and that happily coincides with the number of countries that we've had downloads from. So um, I thought we'd start with a little game and see if you guys guess which countries we've had downloads from. Um, So I'm going to start with you, old man. We've got 10 to go through, so there could be a draw, (laughs) but uh, give it your best shot. England. We'll count the United Kingdom as one country, shall we? Go on, England. Fucking hell, I was going to go Wales next. That's a <laughs> um, I am going to go with Fiji. <laughs> that's a big shout. <laughs> that's that's almost on a par with you going for Ravishing Rick Rude as WWE yeah. champion for the, all the other things that you, went, you could have gone for. I've got a feeling there's going to be one really bizarre place in there. Th- th- there is, but maybe not quite as bizarre as Fiji. Unfortunately, Fiji is not in there, Tom. Oh, um, I'll go through the list. Um, so obviously you've got United Kingdom and the United States of America, um, Australia and Ireland, all Great. you know, all all English speaking countries up to this point. So it makes a lot of sense. Then we've got Finland, lovely, Italy, Norway, and then we start to go further afield. So we've got India, we have got Bolivia, and we have got El Salvador. Oh, amazing! Wow. Let's be honest, it's an international flavour on this podcast. 
It is. And, and you know, I only made the list so that Tom could tell us about somewhere he's beaten. <laughs> yeah, I just want to give I just want to give a shout out to, to, to India. I went to India two years ago. Lovely, lovely country, different parts of it. Mainly the southwest. Started in started in uh, you know, Mumbai, then went down went to Goa, and then went to Hampi and Mysore and down to Kerala, Varkala. Lovely, lovely place. <laughs> and can I give a big shout out to Ireland? Of course you because can. I went to Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the biggest place in the world. <laughs> because what? it keeps doubling and doubling and doubling in size. Yes. <laughs> but, um, the, um, what, I, uh, what I like about that list is as soon as you said Finland, I thought of... Um, Ludwig Borger. Yeah, I know. I like to think that, you know, because he hasn't, he hasn't come up yet on this show and he's had an interesting life. But I like to think that maybe some family members listening to it thinking, yeah, that's good. So basically you're saying the Borger family are listening in week after week, waiting for their Ludwig to be discussed on the pod. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope he comes up at some point soon. Although given that he was in about only in about two pay-per-views uh, in WWE's history, I'd be surprised if it's uh, anytime soon. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, let's, let's start looking at uh, Living Dangerously 99 with our overall thoughts on the show. First of all, uh, let's go to you, Tom. What are your overall thoughts on Living Dangerously 1999? I'll be honest, it, this was a bit of a struggle for me for numerous reasons that we'll come into. I hasn't aged very well. But I can't emphasise this enough, how long it felt. The, the pay-per-view is two hours and 43 minutes. And I think because there's no there are no breaks in between the wrestling, there are a few little promos, but there's no real breaks between being in the like in the arena and arena, the, the room and uh, and seeing the, the wrestling happen. It just felt really long. It felt like I needed a reprieve. And with the start of wrestling that they utilised in ECW, just made me feel very like lethargic when watching it. It took me. This is actually probably a record. It only took me two attempts to watch, whereas everything usually takes me a lot longer. But it just, yeah, it felt very, very long, very long to me. Or maybe that's because it only took you two attempts. Maybe that's the problem. It was your, listen, it was your watching style that did you did you in. No, I don't think so, because I could. It, the only reason I haven't watched a lot of the other ones, with the exception of NWO, sold out, um, which was absolute turd. Oh, and, and the Fastlane one that we did as well, which was cack. The only reason that I haven't watched those in one sitting is because of time constraints. Poor old Fastlane 2017. You had to get one more shot in, didn't you, against it? <laughs> right into the kidneys. Uh, old man, your overall thoughts on the show? Well, it's an apt name because any of those poor fuckers in the crowd were definitely living dangerously by being there. Not just because of some of the in-ring antics, but because it is an absolute bag of shit. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It was... It was not fun. It's not fun. This is it's good. Not fun. This is good because I, I, I've been waiting for us to be not. I mean, we're not massively apart, but I'm waiting for us to be really seriously of a different opinion uh, in, in, in many ways. And I don't think it's an amazing show by any stretch of the imagination, but it does kind of it feels to me like this is it runs the full gamut of what ECW was. It gives you a bit of every single thing that they do or did or are famous for. It's got a lot of the bigger names or no not although not all of them it's got a lot of the bigger names rvd obviously sabu taz shane douglas tommy dreamer dudley boys etc and yeah i i was gonna say that it it was very rarely boring for me i found it for most of the time i found it completely watchable um there wasn't an awful lot of superb quality on there um but it was perfectly reasonable three hours of entertainment as far as i was concerned so uh Looking forward to getting into this to see yeah. where where we differ in terms of our uh, in, in terms of where you know you guys obviously found it quite 
difficult to get through. And in old man's case, this could be his fast lane or, or maybe all of our sold out. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so let's let's get into the show, um, starting with a Taz promo. So the first thing we see is Taz outside the arena and he is approached by Stephen Prezak, who interviews him. Um, and he talks about the fact that he's going to be after Sabu's jaw. Uh, and building up to his match with Sabu in the main event, he uh, he name checks Ric Flair, The Rock, Steve Austin, Mankind, and others. Oh man, your thoughts on this start to the show? Well, for a start, he wasn't interviewed by that guy that you said. He was interviewed by renowned British food critic Jay Rayner. I think you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where I'll start, and I'll probably continue at this level. I detest. Where, and this is because I've watched so much WWE and they just don't bother doing this. I detest when other wrestling companies call out other wrestling companies or wrestlers in their promos and stuff like that because I don't understand. For a start, the people who are watching this, they'll want to watch Taz wrestle. They don't give a shit about Ric Flair. They don't care about Ric Flair. Ric Flair, especially at this point, let's be honest, it's not the, uh, it's not the peak of his career, is it? And then he calls out Austin. He's like, really? Like, come on. And then calls out The Rock. He's like, come on, Taz. Like, I know I know you need to back yourself, but just leave that whole thing out. Don't worry about it. Just stick to the jaw. He says at one point, he's going to be uh, <laughs> like, stink on shit or be on your jaw, he says yeah. to Sabu. And that's all I needed. That was all I needed. I needed Jay Rayner. <laughs> a threat to a man's jaw because there's a little bit of story and there's something like oh he's gonna bust his jaw up that's gonna be uh that's gonna be decent there's a natural end point to the promo on about 96 occasions and it just <laughs> carries on i do like taz's uh little catchphrase i can't remember what it is though beat me if you can survive if i let you that's yeah, pretty hardcore shit isn't it <laughs> I, I like this. I thought it was a really good. I think it really showcased what Taz is about. Like he just really came across. I thought as quite a badass, um, quite cool, quite tough. It was a good promo. I thought he was uh, pretty charismatic with it. I think basically from the from the get go, we see a Taz that we never really saw in WWE instantly with this promo, which I thought was really cool. I understand what you're saying about Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair at the time was WWE champion. Uh, March '99 when this show was took place. Um, Ric Flair was the WWE champion again after goodness knows how long he had been since not being champion. He was back on top. And, I, you know, I think the, the point was, is this was one of ECW's kind of um, staples was we, we will call out the big companies. We will kind of try and show how we compare to them. And I guess, I mean, the, the Steve Austin thing's a bit harder, but I think the idea was, look, here's this badass Taz guy who looks really tough, who looks really cool. And he's calling out this 50 year old Ric Flair who's at least 10 years past his best. That's the kind of the reason they do it. But I think probably when you take it away from the moment and you then bring it back to where we are now with 50 year olds regularly headlining WWE pay-per-views, it feels, you know, maybe a little bit superfluous. Tom, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I do agree with a lot of the stuff old man said, I, I, but I, it's weird. I, I think I'm going to be kind of somewhere in the middle between you, you, your two polarizing views, but I, again, I, I liked, I thought Taz's probe was delivered very well, but I wasn't sure about the context. I'm not sure about the calling out of the, the other wrestlers. What I did quite like is that he's like, he's like, he obviously he calls out Ric Flair, and then he calls out Steve Austin, and then remembers that he's like mates with him. 
I'm Steve Austin. I mean, he's a great guy and he's a good athlete, and but I'll still beat him. And then, which I thought was quite funny. Um, I also noticed how uh, overcast it looked at the Jersey Shore that day as well. Yeah. Which um, it looked quite grim and dingy outside. Whereas I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a big fan of the TV show The Jersey Shore, and the weather's always lovely there. So it's quite interesting. It kind of set the tone. I was like, oh, it looks a bit dingy. And then we get into the arena and you're like, ah, yeah, that's ECW. I guess the, the calling out wrestlers thing is something that, and something I, I needed to keep reminding myself about whilst watching um, this ECW show was the fact that they don't have the budget of a WWE or, or, or a WCW. So they have to do these things differently, which in the context of watching it as a single one-off show without any real kind of knowledge or, or particular interest in ECW comes across as very weird. But if you keep thinking about it in that context of the fact that they had to do these other things to make themselves stand out because they couldn't compete with WWE and ECW, uh, WCW in a, in a financial matter and a production values matter, they had to do these odd things that seemed rather questionable at the time. I think that's why I found it so pointless that they were calling these other companies out because you're... To me, and I think Tom's hit the nail on the head because I'm watching this as a one-off as well. I would have, in 1999, would have paid my, well, about 58 pence, hopefully. <laughs> and then uh, you sit down and the first thing you get, I don't know what it is. Everything from the 90s looks like it was filmed in like the 30s. <laughs> I think with the dawn of HD, everything looks older. Even the WWE stuff, when you watch it from the 90s and WCW. You've got Jay Rayner interviewing Taz in a completely different style to anything that you would likely see on WCW and WWE of the time. And then they immediately reference the competition, who, as Tom said, they've got more money. They've got better production values because of that. They're national, in, well, international companies. And you're immediately comparing yourself to them. It's like, don't, just be yourself. And then it continues when Joey Styles starts bloody narrowing silly sod. So, yeah, as you said, oh man, next up is Joey Styles. He does an in-ring introduction, which was really only notable for the sign in the front row, which was, it said, Briscoe and Patterson for life. Uh, <laughs> Finally. <laughs> obviously big fans of the uh, the Stooges. Quick thing, why does he keep talking? Why does it constantly throughout the show, they're making references to crooked drug uh, judges, predetermined results, and Don King. There must have been something that happened in like boxing or something like that. But the fact that he's saying there will be no predetermined results makes me think that Joey Stars don't really know how the wrestling business works. <laughs> <laughs> this show comes is a week or so after the Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield fight and controversially ended in a draw. Now this goes back to what I was saying is that I know people have bought the pay-per-view so you've already got them you don't need to sell them but if I'm in that audience or I'm watching on pay-per-view and this bloody I, I don't like Jerry Styles anyway I think he's a dreadful commentator. Some great leather braces though. <laughs> which I mean to be honest he kind of gets a pass for that I think we need to brace ourselves for Old Matt's <laughs> Fury this week yeah. I'm looking forward oh, to it I've not even got to the bit where I get angry um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then he spends like I don't, it, it's probably only a two minute promo if that he spends half of it talking about the boxing it's like just concentrate on yourself I'm glad to see, old man, you've done your research. So that was impressive. You gave us the 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 context we needed about the boxing because I didn't know. I I had I'd failed my role as well. So well done, old man. To be honest, I knew I was gonna probably not be the most positive on the show, 
and I wanted to back that shit up. So any of the listeners can come back and say, can't come back and say, oh, it was after this thing and just make my argument null and void. I'm coming for you, listeners. And I'm coming for you, you, Joey Styles. And your bloody leather braces. Careful, mind. Joey Styles uh, knocked JBL out once that time. So uh, be careful. He's quite, can handle himself. Well, to to be fair, I bumped into JBL in in an airport once. And I put the figure four on him and he was tapping like a bitch. So (laughs) (laughs) how's that, Joey Styles? Weirdly enough, it was in Luton Airport. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know why he was there. And I must say, he was a lot smaller, <laughs> like a child, and was with his mum. So it was a bit <laughs> odd, really. Yeah. I just, uh, I, they said I'm JBL, so I locked in the figure four. Love that. Lovely stuff. So we haven't even got to the first match yet, guys. Bloody hell. Um, Super Crazy versus Yoshihiro Tajiri was the opener. Um, the Joey Styles suggesting that the winner of the match wins the feud, which I've never really understood as a concept before, <laughs> but there we go. And uh, effectively what happens is that uh, Crazy hits a sit-out powerbomb, um, which Tajiri kicks out of, and then they go into kind of a pinfall exchange, which Crazy wins with a roll-up. To avoid the negativity, let's start with you, Tom. And maybe you'll be negative too, but at least I know with old man he's going to be negative. Um, do you know what? I quite enjoyed the match. First thing I did notice though was when Tajiri came out, I was like, the fuck's this? And then I was like, oh, it's Tajiri. He's wearing, he's wearing pants and without a little beard and without the green mist. But did anybody notice that his music sounds a lot like Hey Mickey? It's <laughs> <laughs> got the same drums as Hey Mickey. I was like, oh, no, that's a lovely old job. It was quite good. There was one bit that did annoy me a little bit and i really liked the bit at the beginning where they do the chain wrestling and they you know what i mean like do them drags and one arm drags the other and they get back up and then all the crowd applause them and stuff i just want in that instance one of the wrestlers to show a little bit of frustration in in that like i'm trying i can't do i can't do anything like they, instead what they do is they post them and be like yeah aren't we great do you know what i mean like it annoys me a little bit. and i know and to be fair they should be applauded for you know what is an incredible athletic achievement because I've never moved that fast in my entire life. I haven't even thought about moving that fast in my entire life. Um, and it's a pretty impressive feat, but it just annoys me when everybody's like, yeah, they should at least either, one of them should show a little bit of like frustration and like, oh, damn, fuck, I couldn't do anything like I intended to. Or, or like he keeps reversing everything. Or at least like do like a little like, I don't know, like a, like a, a quick nod of like acknowledgement to the other person or anything like that. It's a, little, it's a very petty little thing. Overall, I quite enjoyed the match. I've always liked Super Crazy's Triple Moon Salt, which mm-hmm. was good. And but one thing also that I thought about, which is a bit odd in ECW. Now I know you might be able to you might be able to like help me out here, Tinky. But is there are all matches no disqualifications? Yeah, effectively, yeah, effectively. Why? And again, I know you can't look into this thing so much, serious, but there's a bit where Super Crazy hits Tajiri in the nuts and you know to reverse something. Uh, the reason why I don't like that kind of rule as, as an idea is is because why would you just not constantly kick people in the nuts? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, just constantly just going for the bollocks. That's what I do. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of takes... When, when you realise that all matches are like that, I, 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 what I don't mind, I, I'd like rather the idea of there being rules and the referees allowing some leniency and the... Um, and the commentator, Joey Styles, acknowledging it. But it just, it kind of takes a little bit of the believability out of it for me. The fact that it's just like, yeah, just wham him in the nuts constantly and you'll win. It is a failing of the internal logic of ECW, I think, is is very true. That is a failing. I think ultimately it's never really referenced. That's the point. It's never refer- really referenced that it's no disqualification. It's just accepted that pretty much anything goes. But it's not, not exactly, they don't exactly say every match here in ECW is no disqualification. So it's kind of like this unsaid thing 
that they don't dwell upon at all because as you say the logic falls down pretty quickly one note on the music um pretty much all of the music in the show is is dubbed over by wwe pretty yeah. much all of it which is a consequence of ecw having actual <laughs> music as their theme tune so um and they didn't pay any fees for them um which was a bit naughty so basically wwe have had to dub, <laughs> dub over everything except for taz and maybe sabu's sabu's um, music is the same yeah okay so those two are the only ones that are actually um like mu- music that were actually played on the night oh man your thoughts uh, i thought it was it was fine i thought it was all right um whenever i see super crazy I was thinking about Michael Cole saying his name twice. <laughs> you know, I thought so, I had uh, that in my notes. Old man is going to say super crazy, super crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think is is well, it Rumble 2006? I, I think, think so. Like, yeah. This goes super crazy, super crazy. <laughs> that's, that's no more context to it. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was all right. This is where I realised, I mean, I won't go on about Joey Styles too much, but this is where I realised, one, he's not particularly good. And two, he has an impossible job because he, I would say, he's literally just calling the moves. And I was like, oh yeah, because there's no story. Like, there's no, there's no reason... This this match doesn't need any investment, but like it's kind of a problem going further. Um, there are a couple of lovely lo- lovely little moves in this. There's a baseball slide to someone's face that looks absolutely incredible. I kind of squirmed when I was watching. I was like, oh, that looks bloody horrible. And um, I think it's super crazy. Does what they call a Somerset plancha. I don't even know what it is to be honest. It's it it just sounds like a delicious topping for a pizza. But uh, he does it over the turnbuckle and there must be a meter and a half space between the ring and the barrier the barricade and it looks absolutely terrifying before you go any further old man did you call it a somerset plancher no somerset <laughs> no you did call it a somerset <laughs> did I? Yeah. Go on, somerset finally some recognition for that's, somerset that's a move mark henry does when he's represented for western supermare <laughs> when when when, uh, when Tajiri did that, the Somerset plancher over the over the number, um, he lands and then the camera's nearby. He turns to the camera and goes, "Do you see that?" <laughs> that was amazing. Lovely little nod. Oh, on, on the crowd, this is the first ECW pay per view I've watched, apart from the one night stand that WWE did. But I used to watch. Um, was it Hardcore TV? It was called the show. It used to be on Bravo. Bravo, yeah. But it was about yeah. two years delayed, so it was about. Yeah. It, it, I was watching it about this time, like 99, but it was showing stuff from 1997 at the time. It was really weird. <laughs> oh, bravo. Yeah, and it was always like, it always feels like with ECW, and it's, a, it's very much a strength of the company, is that the show is about everything. It's about the crowd as well. And this is where, uh, so like super crazy slips on the ropes and then sells it. He's like selling it like he's just been, he's just like crashed a car or something. He's like ah, squirming on the floor. And the crowd is so excited to say, you fucked up, you fucked up. And I was like, you're absolute scumbags. <laughs> like, like immediately. But then I was like, actually, this is the whole thing, isn't it? It's like they are so important to the show because it's not, this isn't a good show from my point of view 
with a crowd. My God, watching it without a crowd would be agony. Another note on the crowd, which I forgot to mention when we were talking about Joey Styles in the boxing. There's just a man in the front row who just winks at the hard camera, which I <laughs> absolutely love. He just really slowly just gives it a lovely little sexy wink. Well, it's good to see that you found some some enjoyment from uh, from the show in general then, just looking at the crowd and a guy winking at the, the camera. This, this is probably the peak. <laughs> um, it is, in my opinion, I thought, look, I thought this was a, a really good match. I thought the first two thirds were excellent. And then, as you as you said, old man, uh, crazy, super crazy slips on the rope and botches uh, a move. And it really takes the energy out of the crowd a little bit. And also their planned ending is a little bit disappointing when you consider the rest of the match. Um, and so it kind of it really took the shine off. I thought the last third of the match because the, the previous two thirds were really, really excellent. Brilliant German suplex by Tajiri during this one. There is an even better one later on in the show, though. But just generally a very I thought a very good match until the last last few moments. Um, and Super Crazy apparently wins the feud with this match, but actually they continue to feud for the next two years in, in ECW until until effectively the, the company went under. So it's not really it's not really true, guys. It's not really true. Don't believe no. it. Up next, we have a backstage promo by Bill Alfonso with Rob Van Dam and Sabu. The reason I brought this up is I thought this was really, again, another situation where you see a Rob Van Dam that's completely different from the Rob Van Dam we saw in WWE. In WWE, they entirely sell him as this kind of laid-back stoner kind of guy. In in ECW, he's got this arrogance and actual humour about his character, where he's kind of like talking about how Sabu loves to watch Rob Van Dam's matches, and they and they kind of really have that amazing. I think it was one of the highlights from ECW's product was this relationship between RVD and Sabu, where Sabu doesn't talk. Rob Van Dam's really arrogant. Rob Van Dam therefore takes advantage of the fact that Sabu doesn't talk by just you know making himself the star but in the meantime sabu kind of is still you know one of the most popular guys in the company uh any thoughts on this one either of you i didn't know it was bel alfonso until later on when uh someone said his name i think i just switched off so all i had to know was sabu rvd and some cunt do a promo (laughs) (laughs) that's my notes but i must say i did really enjoy it because yeah it feels a bit silly this whole thing just feels a bit stupid and i was like i like that i like it <laughs> i i did i did find the camera work quite irritating very jerky constantly going in i understand what it did again to make it look a little bit different but i was a little bit like all right lads well <laughs> you know why because it was apparently a rule in ecw that uh every camera person had to be masturbating while they were filming right right that yeah. makes sense yeah it all comes together now and they all come together um <laughs> <laughs> so then we have Steve Carino. He's in the ring and he cuts a promo, says something, something about not needing steroids to look good and issues an open challenge, at which point Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney emerge from the back and we get an impromptu match between Balls Mahoney and Steve Carino, which um, ends when Balls Mahoney hits Carino with a massive horrific unprotected chair shot to the head and gets the pin uh old man what were your uh what dare i ask what were your thoughts on this one you know what steve carino just come out just cut a lovely little promo he's he's got a nice little bit of character he's obviously like he's so out of place right when, when you look at him obviously now works for wwe as a producer which is lovely and uh, then Balls Mahoney comes down. Balls Mahoney is the shape of a ball at this point in his career. Axel Rotten, I've, my only note about Axel Rotten is he's a poor man's Brian Knobs, which is 
tough. There's an issue with the actual match. In that one, it's not very good. And two, Bulls Mahoney hits an absolutely enormous frog splash. He like, does. It's yeah. a massive man, and he goes fucking miles for a two count. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And then Carino doesn't sell it afterwards, really. And the chair shot is horrific. Mm-hmm. And this, this was the point where I was, I realised how different how differently I feel about all of that stuff now, as opposed to watching this in 1999. This was where I got turned around and I was like, oh, that was horrible. I was, look, it's, it's disgusting. But it's not the worst chair shot in the show. That's still to come, but it's horrible. Can we talk for a moment about uh, Balls Mahoney's shorts? <laughs> Why not? Why not? It is so much. I was like, what the fuck is he wearing? Because they're, they're like baggy ass jean shorts that have been cut up the front of the leg, so it's just really, really. It's like he's running around wearing like a weird jeans kilt. And the other thing as well, going back to going mm-hmm. back to big, uh, big Axel Rotten, the state of his hair. Because not only has he got the the Jerry Sags kind of mohawk mullet, but it's also really curly. It looks like you know we had our we had our poll a couple of months ago about the about the old pot noodle hair, but mm-hmm. well, this looks very much like super noodles. <laughs> have <laughs> been cooked and then left cold you know, to cool down and then just slapped on top of Big Axel's head. Um, it was a crap match, but there is a bit where Balls Mahoney misses a leg drop off the top rope. A man yeah. his size doing that. He, oh, that must be fucking agony. And I know I know you said they were all overdubbed, but Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney's music is so crap. It's almost as good as the Motor City Machine Guns music when they were in TNA. <laughs> Like, it is awful. Yeah, I got nothing to say about this match. It was turd. Also, like, go back to the chair shot. Like, that chair shot for that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, imagine if, like, Steve Carino ends up having some kind of horrendous brain disease, which hopefully he won't. You'd be like, well, I wasted it on that fucking match with Balls Mahoney. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the unprotected chair shot is a is a valid, valid uh, criticism. I, I think the only defence I'll make of it is that we'll see that same, very same thing in WWE shows, certainly about, around this time. Um, and I think we're going to probably have to get used to it. And we see those matches. It doesn't tend to be in a nothing mid-card match, though. No, it. that's very true. That's very true. Not as much, anyway. The... the only, the reason I guess the reason they felt like it was worthwhile was because Steve Carino was quite new to ECW at the time and the idea was that you it goes into what old man was saying about the crowd being part of this which is that in ECW there was a sense that you had to gain acceptance from the ECW crowd even as a heel in many ways to become established an established act in the, in the company and the easiest way to do that and the quickest way to do that is just to take a heck of a lot of punishment basically and Steve Carino's gimmick would va- essentially be the anti-hardcore guy in ECW he would be king of old school which was that basically he didn't wouldn't do the um the the whole hard, hardcore stuff so there's, there's that moment in the match here where basically he grabs a steel chair as if to hit Balls Mahoney with it, but then places it down, sits on it and grabs a, a kind of rear chin lock, which I thought was a really cool um, kind of bit of establishing who Steve Carino was. I thought, look, I thought it lasted like four or five minutes. In that five minutes, we got Balls Mahoney's massive frog splash from the top rope. We got the missed leg drop. We've got that bit with Steve Carino, which I've just talked about, and the unprotected chair shot, which if you take away the concern from it, was still obviously popped the crowd. I thought, look, it was perfectly fine. It was okay. It was a filler. It wasn't any, very important. 
but I'm not going to moan about it. It was it was okay for what it was. It was no, no problem at all. I suppose the the problem is with any of these short matches is that the bar is set so high by Mark Henry and Viscera. <laughs> that whenever we watch any of these back, it's always going to be, oh, that was decent, but it's not a five-star classic, is it? On on the Mark Henry Viscera, this is a good time for me to do a plug for our social media channels, which I haven't done yet, so I'll, I'll st- chuck it in now, because we have got a, a lovely highlights package available of that match on Twitter. Um, it's at UK, and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find on there our top five moments from the podcast each week, which Tom is particularly a fan of. And also, you'll be kept up to date with what our next episode is, so all those things are, are can be found at those channels. Tom, you were going to say something. Oh, just going back to the back to the chair shot of it all. The, the problem is that, and again, I could be proven to be completely wrong, talking up my ass. But like, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking that's all anybody's waiting for. Similar to issue to what we had with the 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 no way out match, where every, the the crowd is shit because all they're looking forward to is Triple H and Mick Foley in particular doing something bonkers and that's all it is in this show like boss mahoney's not over the chair shot's over mm. you know what i mean and it's, it's one of those things where like and I, I appreciate what you said but i i was watching this and the majority of the time i was thinking this crowd are a bunch of bloodthirsty dickheads because <laughs> I, I yeah didn't- yeah and i think there's i think there's an absolute fair point the only reason the only way i would argue that is that you just have to look at the opening match to see that they're not just waiting for the chair shots like they saw the good wrestling in the opening match and were well up for it and excited by it so i i and whereas with the no way out crowd where we were talking about the dickheads like they they weren't interested in edging christian versus the hardy boys which is a perfectly good you know wrestling match so I, and, and not only that, but this is what ECW is. This is what they've been sold to expect. Like, there's nothing, there is nothing else. This is what ECW is. So I, I kind of give them more of a pass than that crowd, just because I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think it's quite the same comparison. Uh, but I, I kind of think you might not necessarily equate it to chair shots and ultra violence, but they are, it seems to be, in even in the first match, they're just waiting for the next big spot. I, again, I don't think that's true when you can, when you consider the first few minutes. When you consider the first few minutes, which is all wrestling, there's no there's no big spots in the first few minutes. They are they're really excited for it. They're going really going really um, wild for it. So I, I just think that it's a little bit it's just a little bit different to me. Wait until we get to the boring chance in the next match then. <laughs> <laughs> Before the next match, there's a hype video for uh, New Jack and Mustafa's coming match later in the show, which involves the Dudley Boys um, kind of being hired to get rid of the public enemy and then also to go after new jack and it's the reveal that mustafa is the one that's paid them to do that i mean the one note i had was that the dudley say that they beat the citizenship out of tanaka the level of racism is astonishing in i mean this is 22 years ago this was because there's stuff like i know there is there's stuff on like wwe programming that i've watched from a couple of years after this this i mean it's bloody hell it's it's quite, I suppose it's a sign of the times that we're in. And it's a good thing that, like, kind of watch this and then it's like, Jesus, are they really saying that stuff? And, like, it's just washed over as well. It's not. And there's not a problem with anybody saying this at this time. And now, kind of watching it back now, you're just like, Jesus, that's a bit horrible. And also, New Jack is just not a very pleasant human being. So I'm kind of turned off by all this. I, I just like the fact that it showed that there had been a long, it showed mm-hmm. stuff like over a year ago going into this, I think, wasn't it? It showed a really long build up to the match. And just from someone who gets very frustrated over the lack of long term planning and story arcs in wrestling, it's just quite nice to see someone play out over a series of months. 
yeah they the they built up a lot the 3d which the dudley boys obviously um with the number of people they took out took out with the with the 3d including i think perry saturn which would have been a couple of years before this no not perry (laughs) um so then we had antifaz del norte against little guido guido wins this one by submission with a boston crab oh man the match is actually pretty tidy the crowd they couldn't give two shits about these people no and i was just like this is well this plays back to to get back to mark henry and viscera again like they start like tom's alluded to already they start with the boring chant and it's like what what these guys are working hard there's a there's a corkscrew somerset twat thing that they do the the crowd couldn't give any shit the referee's got a wrist strap on they're not even popping for that <laughs> and the one thing that does get a reaction which i thought was quite ironic given the fact that uh taz's promo at the start of the show is the rick flair chops and the only thing that genuinely get the crowd going and they start wooing and they're having a lovely old time and then they start wrestling and then they're like boring boring and i was like shut out you fucking miserable cunts <laughs> well i don't i didn't know to be honest i was struggling to focus on this match because I was just too busy wowed by Big Sal's jacket <laughs> huge it's, again going back to, I tell you what boys we're keeping going to keep going back to this it was like Vitor's jacket from the Magic and Smart Henry it is an enormous leather coat got a lot of time for that must be about seven cows worth he's wearing there <laughs> I liked uh, do you know what I've always quite, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Nunzio or Little Guido I don't know is Guido a racist term I don't know I think it might be yeah I, I've, I've always struggled with that I'm not entirely certain I, I have always wondered if it was or not yeah for the sake of it I'm going to call him Nunzio for the rest of it I, I've always quite liked Nunzio I've always thought he was quite a good quite a good wrestler always seemed to just be a perfectly kind of suited to his gimmick and, and do a really and did a really good job at the end of it it looks like the FBI is going to split because who is it that comes down to two other members of the FBI Tracy Smothers comes down with Tommy Rich yeah, Tony as well, big Tony. There's no um, Tony. There's no Tony. Tracy Smothers and Tommy Rich. Yeah, Tony Smothers <laughs> and Tony Rich. That's what I'm um, but, yeah, I just, it looked like that was the end of the the end of the FBI. I'm not sure if it was, but um, no. it, it, I like the fact that Tracy Smothers was just basically his reason <laughs> was because he was annoyed that they didn't come down with them. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Stiles is like, oh, and Tracy Smothers is clearly annoyed that he didn't he wasn't allowed to accompany him, so now they're splitting up. <laughs> come on, lads. <laughs> So the the FBI kind of again was kind of a comedy thing for most of the time because obviously had uh, they had Nunzio and they had Sally but then they also had Tracy Smothers who's actually just a Southern American guy um, and Tommy Rich also is from some of the, kind of the deep South so they kind of like weren't they weren't at all full blooded Italian so it was kind of like it was supposed to be kind of like a little bit tongue in cheek um on the on the guido term it is a apparently an ethnic slur uh for a working class urban italian american some quick fire research there so maybe we should halt using the word yeah i mean look i i thought to be honest yeah i mean they were they were chanting boring which was was which was strange because before that they'd they'd been chanting we want wrestling which they then got, and then they started chanting bored at it. So I, th- I thought that was a bit unfair. But I was a bit bored by this. This is the bit in the show where I was like, oh, I don't know. Now, like, we've gone past the match, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, Super Crazy and Tajiri, the matches from ECW, I can remember having never seen them, but being really, really eager to watch them, having read about them and seen the pictures in Power Slam, when I, when I would, you know, when I read Power Slam and I read about ECW. Um, So I was kind of really eager to watch that, and we got through that, and I thought that was quite good. And then we saw the Balls Mahoney, Steve Green match which was fine it was, 
you know, few minutes. And then this came along and I was a bit like, oh, this is this is just this is basically the opening match again, but but a lot less impressive because it just it was again back to the wrestling. I think if it had been positioned sort of later in the show, it might have been it might have been better. But I just I got really quite bored during it. But it was fine. It was fine for what it was. Uh, it didn't it didn't last particularly long either. I mean, it only lasted five minutes. So it's not like it should have been a particularly hard slog. But yeah, something about it just made me kind of switch off for a moment. But yeah, I've not got a lot to say about it. It was perfectly fine, but I just it did I did find it boring. So Tracy Smothers comes down, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, Tracy Smothers is a man. Yeah. Not because they're called Tracy. In my mind, so I've heard the name Tracy Smothers loads of times, and I don't really know why. I thought it was what it would now be a middle aged woman who used to present a talk show in America. <laughs> like genuinely as well and then I looked at him and I was like he doesn't look like a middle aged woman and then I looked up turns out he's just a wrestler he's a very well travelled wrestler as well he's been everywhere and like all over the independence uh, sorry all over the territory era um, and then into WCW in the early 90s and into Smoky Mountain Wrestling and USWA and yeah. into Japan and in WWF for a couple of for a couple of years as well Did some, and then obviously he was in ECW for a long while as one of the full-blooded Italians build us from Nashville Italy was his <laughs> Where he's built from. A quick moment to talk about Antifaz del Norte because he won't. He, I tried to do a little bit of research on him, and he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. He's got a little bit of a wrestling web page on on uh, Lucha Wiki. I, I didn't really have much to say about him, other than the fact that I was like, oh, I, what I did quite like is the fact that I knew what his name was straight away. Yeah, North Mask, and that is my <laughs> Spanish lessons. So it's just, I tell you, it's just a nice bit of affirmation that I am learning. So hang on, Antifaz means mask. Yeah, oh, and so it's North Mask Antifaz. Well, it's because Faz is obviously face, anti-face. Your anti-face. Get a bloody mask on. (laughs) So you don't need to learn... You don't need to, need to learn Spanish. You just need to have some logic, basically. <laughs> I've, been, I've been wasting money. I've been wasting my money, haven't I? Clearly, I should think Spanish lessons for old man. Yeah, Definitely. although, to be honest, I would have had mask down as anti-fez because they didn't want to wear a fez and they wanted something to cover their face. The fez, fez is, a, is an often overlooked great hat that doesn't get the props that it used to. Yeah. Well, it was basically Tommy Cooper's act, wasn't it? Mm. The great British comedian Tommy Cooper for... They was listening in Finland. Although apparently Ludwig Borger was a big fan. So his family probably know who we're talking about. Mass, massive Tommy Cooper guy. Ludwig Borger, huge. Of course, he did famously die on stage. He did famously die on stage. And the crowd thought it was part of their act. And there were a couple of performers on this show, I think, metaphorically died on stage as well. So next up is... Um... Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn for the television title. This one goes for the full complement of the match. It goes to a time limit draw. That time limit must have been 20 minutes rather than half an hour because it didn't last half an hour. Then, and what what was going to happen is the referee was about to award Jerry Lynn the match and the title, which is a strange kind of decision that he would have made. But Jerry Lynn wouldn't allow him to. And the fans called for five more minutes, which Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam agreed to. So then they had their five more minutes and uh, Van Dam hit the Van Daminator and then the five star frog splash for the win. Old man, thoughts on this one? It was decent. It's very out of place. Like they, this is where the crowd as well. Like they, to Tom's point, like they're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for because they put on a bloody parts of this are really really good. Like where they're like exchanging moves and they're telling a nice little 
story through the match, but it takes a leg drop over a barricade for the crowd to get excited. And then they just put themselves over by going EC dub, EC dub, EC dub, which is the first one of those bloody awful chants. Jerry Lynn is, I'm pretty sure, he's the first person on this whole card to actually sell anything. <laughs> and to actually, like, this is where I think because it's kind of, like, dialed back a bit, this is the first time that it occurred to me that the, the problem, my issue with this whole show, is that nothing is given any time to breathe and to, like, organically come about so there is no selling there is like jerry lynn sells for a little bit and then it's kind of done like there's the bit with the end that you've touched upon tiki with where the referee is oddly gonna offer to give the match to jerry lynn jerry lynn immediately gets on the middle rope like leans through he's tired he's, he's had a tough 20 minutes shows the five to the crowd crowd don't have a fucking clue what five means it's not it's not like biggie's finisher from back in his nxt days but it's something that i think if they'd if the referee hadn't rushed going to grab the title and then go and give it to i think if there'd been some thought it would have been more clear i think to the live audience as well what was going on because i'll be honest i don't have a clue what was going on and then jerry lynn's just going five and then joey styles on commentary to his credit says oh Jerry doesn't want the title. He wants to win it. He wants five more minutes. Overall, I thought it was a good match, but kind of pointless because of the end as well. Like, why have five more minutes and then lose? Like, why? I don't. Yeah, weird. I, I've got a little bit. It's funny what you say about the rushing. So my kind of note for this match is decent match, but exhausting. It is just constant stuff happening all the time with no, as you said, no time to breathe. At the beginning of the match, Joey Styles, I think, refers to being able to buy an ECW beanbag. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Anybody heard that? But I think they may have had ECW branded beanbags. I didn't remember to check. I just assumed that was what he said. Um, <laughs> Wasn't like, it just as likely it was ECW beanies? I didn't care. I like the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, the other thing is as well, I think that um, I've got a little bit of an issue with this referee with John Finnegan or Finnegan or whatever his name is. John Finnegan he counts far too fast as well. I don't know if you don't know if you guys notice this, but every time it's like one, two, three, like he 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 doesn't allow for any kind of suspense in the pinfalls. That is, they all do it. All these W referees do that. They have a consist a consistent length count and it is one two three. Oh really yeah yeah i don't like it <laughs> i i don't i don't know like again like i like i like rob van Dam. i think this is what you say about um about his character being different but it's just everything that he does is different it's cool even though he does like lots of flashy moves a lot of it looks quite urgent and he looks for, for someone with what would appear to be quite a reckless style actually everything that he does looks quite smooth and controlled um, and I like that there's there's but there's also like an element of like desperation to some of his moves. And when he does these moves, like um like you know where he like does a somersault into a leg drop or something like that, it looks like it looks like a hell of a leg drop because it looks like there's that velocity behind it and stuff. But and I like Jerry Lynn as well. I think Jerry Lynn's a quite a good wrestler. I, I'd be lying if I said I'd seen loads of his stuff, but he's always come across to me as a very very capable wrestler. But it's just too much this match it, it, it there were some really cool spots but it was just every high impact move after high impact move and that basically goes on for the rest of the card from this point and it's just exhausting interesting i mean i think this is probably where maybe our divergent opinions really kind of 
show themselves because I thought this was excellent. I thought this was an excellent match. I think it's also a kind of match you just don't see anymore. It was kind of, in fairness, it was kind of Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn's own type of match. This is a high spot fest with a story and with a, a kind of a theme, a, a kind of theme running through it. So the idea that Jerry Lynn is trying to prove himself because um, Jerry Lynn was still quite, you know, quite early in his ECW raid, uh, time and, and hadn't established himself as Rob Van Dam's main rival at this point. So they kind of were this was kind of the first time that they'd had one of their big matches, which they would go on again, much like Super Crazy and Tajiri. They would go on to have loads of matches on pay-per-view after this. Um, and this was kind of the first one. And they and it's just a different feel to it. Like you, you're right. It kind of there's nothing. I call it a high spot fest in the sense that there's not a lot connecting the various different set pieces that they go through. But those set pieces in the main are really quite jaw dropping. In particular, I thought the bit where they're in the ring and RVD goes for the Van Daminator and Jerry Lynn ducks under it. Van Dam then goes for the sweep. Jerry Lynn jumps over the top of it. And as he comes down, he leg drops Rob Van Dam. I thought was just absolutely insanely good. And I think if you watch it in the kind of context of just knowing that that's what this is going to be is a series of set pieces, but with behind it, this story, which is Jerry Lynn trying to prove himself, trying to beat RVD, who's been like, he's one of the biggest stars in the company. I think it is a really good match. And I think if you, if you think of it like you guys do, obviously as something that's less than really good, maybe good, but not great. And maybe a little bit of a chore then I think your overall view of the show is going to be brought down because it is the best thing on the show, in my opinion. But for me, I thought it was really good and therefore it brings my overall opinion of the show up a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought this was just excellent in in some ways. Um, and the, this is what I was talking about earlier on about the, there is a better German suplex on this show than the earlier one. The, the German suplex Sheridan does on Rob Van Damme is stupendous. I mean, it's just talking about bridges from, from the previous episode where we had the bridge that Greg <laughs> Valentine did to this thing. I mean, the, the difference is stark. It is so stark. I, I think this is a good match, but the problem is this match would have been an outstanding match in a quote-unquote normal wrestling pay-per-view. Like, if there, if there were a series of normal matches without all the chair shots and without all the... And admittedly, we haven't really got to that yet, but basically, from this match on, that's just what it turns into. It would have been great in isolation or on, on a different card, but because it's surrounded by all of the other hardcore nonsense in the show, it takes it down for me. That's fair. No, that's, that's perfectly fair. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't view it in that way. I did view it as something like an island in in and of itself. And I think that, oh man, you said it kind of is, seems out of place almost because it is so different, or at least it's got like it's long and it's got like, it's actually wrestling and there's all kinds of different things in it that, that's where I kind of was. I was like, this is just another different flavor that ECW brings. And there are all kinds of different things that they do during the show. I think if you view it all as hardcore wrestling, then you're probably right. It is just all this big mulch of stuff. I viewed it as different shades of this, of a hardcore show. And I think that's where perhaps I differed in terms of my opinion on it than the new guys um next up was the uh, promo video for sabu and taz and the feud that they had been going through over the previous couple of years that had um kind of begun back in 1996 and led to the first ecw pay-per-view in 97 barely legal where uh, bill alfonso actually turned on taz and joined sabu at that at that moment and then we had a really weird pre-show bit where jasmine st Clair. Uh, adult film star Jasmine Sinclair is in the ring and she's talking about being the new queen of wrestling to which Francine confronts her and then um, stuns 
and I put that in the loosest uh, <laughs> term as I possibly can, stuns Sinclair and low blows the guy who's in the ring with her. I have no idea who the guy is, by the way. And yeah, um, I don't know why we were even shown this, but this was kind of done earlier in the night before the pay-per-view uh, aired. Any thoughts on any of this stuff? Old man looks like he's got something. I mean, this is fucking awful. <laughs> it's so bad. So a couple of things running through my head when I was watching this. One, why are they showing it? Because it's bad. And two, I'm assuming the man is a porn star as well. We'll say he is. Alan Porn Star, we'll call him. I'm assuming they've paid them to be there. Just have him on the show. Just do this bit on the show. And it would have been actually quite a nice break from... It may have done what like Tom said, where it's kind of like the match before the RVD and Jerry Lynn match. It's kind of non-stop. Might have been nice either before or after that, just to kind of like let everything calm down a little bit and then you can enjoy this match and then you can get into the horrible shit that's coming. But the guy, I just can't believe that he fell for it. The classic fake blowjob (laughs) into the low blow. He's falling for it. Ah, bloody Uh, hell. My note is Joey Styles in a cupboard talking about an adult film star who then gets rather unconvincingly stunned by a tall woman. (laughs) Uh, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, well, I, just a little bit of research there. Apparently, Jasmine Sinclair used to go out with the Blue Meanie. Oh, okay. Really? That might answer your question as to why she was yeah. there. Do, do you think she ever left him with blue balls? <laughs> so I think to, to recover from that one, I think we will take a short break right there, but we'll be back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Stephen Prezak outside the Asbury Park Convention Hall waiting the arrival of Taz, who, to not speak of the devil, is Taz right now. Taz, look, one quick question. I'll be brief. Tonight is a rarity among rarities at ECW, a unification match. What is your game plan tonight against Sabu? Another intelligent question, Prezak. You're a genius, brother. My game plan is simple. You see, ECW tried to hide the fact that I busted Sabu's jaw a little over a month ago in North Carolina. So they're trying to hide it. That's cool, but I'm going to go after his jaw. I'm going after his jaw. I'm telling you, Sabu, my game plan, brother. I'm coming after your jaw like a shark, going after that blood and water. <laughs> like stink on shit, I will be after his jaw. And when it's all said and done, I will still have the world heavyweight belt, and I'll also have the belt that I created, the FTW belt, and I will be the unified heavyweight champion. Well, that certainly answers that question. The, uh, so going after the jaw is not a little, little intense what yeah, you think yeah that? that's intense. See, that's what I do for a living, schmuck. I and hurt people. And Sabu, I hate your guts, and you hate me. I wouldn't want any other way. And as far as other champions in this business, who can beat me? Who can beat Taz? Ric Flair? He's a 50-year-old man. Is there anybody, anybody out there who believes Ric Flair, a 50-year-old man, can beat me, Taz, in his prime, the world champ? Steve Austin, tremendous entertainer. Everybody loves Steve Austin. Good athlete, too. But you know what? He can't beat me. I'd make him tap. In a New York minute, he would tap. Maya Villa, Mankind, Hogan, it doesn't matter. I am the one and only world heavyweight champion. And at the end of tonight, I will be the FTW champ and the world champ. Because I'm Taz, the world heavyweight champion. Sabu, tonight, beat me if you can. Survive if I let you. Welcome back. So um, next up, we have got the match routine, the former gangsters, Mustafa and New Jack. And wow, what do I say about this one? So 
effectively this ends with a pinfall in the ring by new jack over mustafa after about 10 minutes of action it is what comes immediately before that pinfall obviously though that is the big talking point which is a new jack dive from the balcony down to mustafa who is on a table um where do we start with this one tom why don't you go first in the ghetto there's no surprise when a man dies nobody cries in the ghetto played constantly in the background <laughs> of the match it's so bad now i know obviously a um, new jack used to come out to natural born killers by dr dre and ice cube i think yeah. um but like just <laughs> that in the background constantly it's so bad it's such a crap song like to uh, america uh, uh, natural born killers it's such a hard dark iconic gangster rap song which even even on repeat would be pretty cool in the background of this song this crap generic shit that wwe have obviously put over in the background is awful and it just annoyed me then we got the actual match <laughs> in which obviously new jack comes down with a bin full of uh full of, full of uh, awful things these two hate each other. New Jack despises Mustafa. Yet every time he pulls a weapon out, he has a little play around with it. So he gets a guitar, pretends to strum it, hits him over there with it. Pulls out this little like toy telephone, pretends to speak to someone, hits it. Pulls out a fucking rubber dildo, pretends to shag himself with it before he hits Mustafa over the head with it. It is, it's, it's just so fucking stupid because it's, you know, like, I don't believe by for a second these two actually hate each other. And having watched, I, I find New Jack quite a disturbing person. Um, I've watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode of him and it's, it's actually quite a sad story in the fact that he's killing someone who's severely traumatized, um, who has basically been exploited by the wrestling business and when he should have just basically had a lot of therapy when he was younger. But everything about this match is, it, not only is it crap, but it's also quite uncomfortable as well. And I I haven't even talked about the big spot, which I'm sure old man will go into. It, it is just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. This entire bit is awful with New Jack and Mustafa. Go on, old Yeah, it is horrible. Like, it, to be honest, like the, in, the in-ring stuff that Tom has touched upon, that kind of is what it is. They hit each other with things that are reasonably hard, but they hit each other like they they don't there's no there's no thought of protection which is they're adults they can do what they want like they there's obviously the agreement the the troubling bit that i had was so they go out into the crowd and they're obviously setting up for the finish well for the finish of sorts mustafa has his back turned and new jack hits him with a chair now i was going to watch this back but I couldn't bring myself to because it looks like he hits him with the edge of the chair. And from that point on, Mustafa is all over the shop. And he's either an excellent seller, which with the greatest of respect, I don't think he is because he sells it for so long, or he is legitimately fucked. And New Jack then tapes him to the table, which I must say, in spite of all of the bollocks around it, is a lovely touch because it (laughs) takes him a long time to get up to where he's going to jump off. So it makes sense. Like, it's not very nice, but also I don't know where he got the tape from. I not really thought about that. <laughs> I feel like someone might have handed him it. So there are a lot of conveniently set up tables around. And he's yes. It's something I noticed. Yeah. He then jumps off the upper tier and barely makes it one. He barely makes it. So it's, hor- it's horrible anyway. But he's jumping over people. Like, he's jumping over the crowd, which is 
I'd imagine if you're there and he's doing that and you're in that moment, it's absolutely brilliant. But watching it back, I was like, Jesus Christ, he could have like he could have killed anyone in the crowd. Fortunately, he didn't. So that's a lovely thing. It's the second um, week in a row old man's had problems with the uh, health and safety uh, <laughs> that have well, been be, shown during the shows. To be fair, we we even got to a bit later on. That's <laughs> gonna get that's gonna get my bloody nuts in a twist. The whole get into the rain thing was just very <laughs> like this is where I think I could kind of see that Mustafa was pretty seems to be pretty out of it. This is where I thought he's not. I don't. I'm happier if Mustafa wants to contact us on twitter i'm very happy for him to message us at rwr pod uk on twitter but i think he's in quite a bad way at this point and he's then taken to the ring it's also just done with a pin which makes me think that he is genuinely fucked up so thankfully they don't do anything else my review is absolute shit and deeply unpleasant to watch and i thought it's all right thank god it's done my god i don't oh no they're going to continue this absolute nonsense. And I don't know if our fearless host wants to take us from here or whether he wants me to go into a full rant about it. Well, we'll wait for a minute. Let's just let's just stay with this match for a minute, just for a few minutes. First of all, the acoustic guitar spot I thought was funny because the guitar split in two before it hit Mustafa. <laughs> yeah. And then New Jack had to pick up the 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 main bit of the guitar and smash it uh, just with that. He couldn't hold the couldn't hold the neck anymore because it was completely gone. I was quite relieved by this in some ways because every single ECW show has got something with New Jack in. Okay, it's got a New Jack bit in, and towards the end, and certainly for that, uh, pretty much after this point, in, in truth, those bits are just effectively two other people having a match that nobody cares about, and New Jack's music coming on, him coming out, beating the crap out of them for like five to six minutes with no with no reason or rhyme or anything for go- going on. And there, and his music's blaring out, and he just hits them indiscriminately with all these weapons, and then that's the end. At least this had a purpose. There was a story. There was a match. It wasn't just this is the new Jack bit where he comes out and beats everybody up. So I was quite relieved by that. The the funniest part of it, I think, is what you said, where they basically the security guards come along after New Jack has done his balcony dive, and they carry them to the ring simply so that New Jack can pin Mustafa. And that's it. That's that's the match that I thought it was. I think for me, it just went into the this is ECW effectively giving you all of the bits that ECW does. OK, it gives you the new Jack craziness. It gives you the RVD Jerry Lynn high spot art kind of fest that they like to do. It gives you the match that they had early on in the in the show between Super Crazy and Tajiri, the wrestling side of things that um, that they were also quite synonymous with, which WWE and WWE weren't doing in the same way when they did them. So just giving you a bit of everything. And this is the as I said, the crazy new Jack bit. And I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it. And I think it would have been probably a lot better had all the the music license issues not been a been a thing because that is the problem <laughs> i think is a problem with all of this show actually the whole way through the fact they don't have the music that played in the arena and they have to pipe something in and they have to pipe in crowd music with it to just make it blend better just makes the whole thing feel a lot a lot less than it should have been so old man why don't you uh why don't you kick us off into the next bit and i will at some point trying to give the context to this and this Okay, so uh, the Duddies are involved in this program, in effect, and they come out to beat up New Jack. Joey Styles says, why are the Duddies even here? I'm I'm asking this question. (laughs) I don't 
I can kind of see where this is going already, and I'm a bit like, oh. Then some twat, I don't know who it is, cuts a promo after they do the beatdown, which is actually pretty decent. Bubba Ray then does what Bubba Ray did in ECW, which is swear and call out everyone and just be deeply unpleasant. Like, fair play to him. He's fully invested. Like, can't criticize that. But here we go. Here we go. Who's going to who's gonna answer the call? So he issues an open challenge. Is it going to be the powers of pain? Probably not. It's not Spike Dudley and Simon Dean. <laughs> is that Simon Dean? Yeah. yeah. It yeah, is incredible, which is this is my favorite bit about the whole thing is Simon Dean is here. <laughs> now, this is before he'd invented the Simon system. I think he would have probably done a lot better if he'd had the Simon system in place. There's a lot of, as I've put it, more horrible weapon stuff where they just hit poor Simon Dean mainly, to be honest, with some weapons. And he's kind of, he's done for, to be honest. And then, oh, this is fucking awful. Like the, this bit, I was horrified by. So I think it's Bubba Ray picks up Spike Dudley in an overhead press and then th- launches him into the crowd. Now, I say launches him into the crowd. It's incredibly impressive. Because even though Spike Dudley's quite a small lad, he does throw him quite a long way. But it's almost not far enough. So he almost throws Spike Dudley on top of the barricade. Mm. But it's all right, because there's a load of the unsuspecting public behind the barricade, so they can catch him. (laughs) And it's like, what the fuck is going on like why are they doing this then spike dudley gets fucking carried around like he's crowd surfing which is admittedly quite funny to watch uh the ring announcer then tries to stop everything gets a 3d for his troubles a ring announcer getting beaten up is always lovely joey styles uh, i know what he's trying to do but he tries to sell the uh, the dudley's as the toughest tag team in ecw history now that's fine i can't really dispute that because i don't know of any other tag teams apart from spike dudley and simon dean but that's who i've just seen them beat up and the ring announcer and i'm like well hang on hang on so Bubba Ray, obviously, he must have heard Joey Styles. He's like, yeah, we're fucking cocky. Fucking have it. Calls out the crowd. He goes, there's no one left. And then Judge Jeff Jones, whoever mm-hmm. this fucker is, <laughs> comes down. He's got bloody Sid with him, hasn't he? I'll be honest. I didn't even know Sid was ever in ECW. What I found astonishing is that he's still got the pot noodle hair. <laughs> like, he, like, he really committed to that. Judge Jeff Jones, as poor... So Sid gets worked over. Judge Jeff Jones doesn't offer anything. He doesn't get his gavel out to offer any help or anything like that. Uh, then Sid starts beating people up. Choke slams a couple of people, I think. Puts Devon on a stretcher. Devon falls off the stretcher. So he picks up the what, what Americans refer to as the gurney, maybe. I might be getting that wrong. Which is effectively the metal frame that the stretcher goes on to. Just picks up, just lobs it on, on Devon. <laughs> which, I mean, is fucking... To be honest, like, of all the stupid things that are done, that's probably the safest because it doesn't really hit him. And then Spike comes back, which is lovely, gets powerbombed through a table for his troubles, which looks fucking awful. I know it's horrible. I think this takes about 15 minutes, this whole thing. So if it's painful for the listener listening to me break it down, imagine fucking watching it. It's, it's painful painful for Tom by the looks of things. <laughs> Well, I'm going to let old man finish. I think I know what he's going to say. At this point, Joey Styles, he's evidently in my head. He's transplanted my thoughts 
22 years later into his head. And he just goes, honestly, what was the point in that? <laughs> At which point I pressed pause, dusted my hands down and then thought about my life. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking awful. So uh, let me let me fill in a little a few of the blanks there because obviously... there are no blanks. It's all fucking shit. <laughs> well, first of all, the the guy that cut the promo before Bubba is Joel Gertner, who would eventually go on to be a color commentator in ECW alongside Joey Styles. And we've also got the fact that, as you say, Spike Dudley gets thrown out. He get, he's then crowd surfing. Sid comes out again. I think Sid's entrance would have been better if we had the natural crowd noise and natural entrance music because it's telegraphed because they have to start the music before when it would start in the arena so that it, it actually makes sense in terms of the, the edit so it kind of telegraphs him coming out during the bit where spike dudley in it returns he then actually manages to get the victory over the dudley so i think he pins bubba ray in the ring after a dudley after a dudley dog um what i can't remember what they call it an acid drop i believe they call it and then he kind of Spike tries to celebrate with Sid and Sid takes umbrage with it. And so Sid then powerbombs Spike through the table outside the ring to sort of end like the decimation that he's come in and cause. So I just thought I'd add that little bit of context before we go to you, Tom. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, my notes are Spike nearly gets killed being thrown into the crowd. They 3D the ring announcer after Sid powerbomb Spike through the table. Joey Star says, what was the point of that? Most sentiments exactly. At this point, I felt like I've been watching for about a fortnight. <laughs> I tell you, something I meant to say earlier. When at the beginning of the Rob Van Dam Jerry Lynn match, the show's only been going for about forty-five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, fuck me, this is long. Yeah, I, I think, um, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to defend it because you're absolutely right. It makes there's no, it's, it's got no point. There's no point to any of it. I guess it's just we are going to throw everything at you for for a little while. Um, this is the this is the chaos of Extreme Championship Wrestling. This is the everything kind of is just off the cuff you know you don't know what's going to come next and so the idea is you've got new jack and mustafa have just had this hellacious match where new jack has just done a balcony dive onto onto mustafa and pinned him then the dudley boys come out they beat the crap out of new jack they then cut a promo have an open challenge spike dudley and nova come out um to to answer that challenge spike dudley gets thrown out of the out of the ring and into the crowd he then crowd surfs whilst nova gets beaten up that then leads bubba ray to call more people out and sid then arrives and everyone in fairness sid is incredibly over with the crowd when he comes out they absolutely love it sid then just basically beats everybody up including his own teammate spike dudley and then the whole thing's done it's one of those classic kind of this is a impromptu match and also an ecw who who's in the match doesn't seem to matter so the official result is spike dudley and sid have beaten the dudley boys even though it's actually spike dudley and nova who have answered the challenge to the dudley boys which is all a bit weird i didn't hate it it wasn't boring but i completely understand that it's just it's just it's just fluff and it's just everything thrown out all at once in this kind of barrage of stuff that you're supposed to kind of wade through i think if you just let it go over your head a little bit it makes it a lot easier if you're not unless you're trying to kind of make some sense of it and there is no sense it's just it's just ecw craziness basically i think the problem with this whole bit is because it comes after the Mustafa and New Jack match. Now, I completely understand why they did it, because obviously the Dudleys have got some history with New Jack, so they want to be up. And I 
but I don't actually know how long this goes on for, but I can remember it feeling incredibly long and exhausting, just deeply unsatisfied. And also, I think Joey Styles, as much as me and Tom have both pointed out, where he says, honestly, what is the point in that? That is a terrible bit of commentary. <laughs> Because whilst I was incredibly fed up by the time it had finished, I was also kind of relieved it was over. And I was happy that Sid got to stand stand tall and enjoy his time. It's just poorly done. Well, I think the tag match lasts about 11 minutes. The previous match had lasted about 10. And obviously there's bits in between and there's bits before the first match and there's bits after the second, the second match. So you're effectively in the arena without a break for two matches for about yeah. half an hour. And that's probably why. And, and also it's half an hour of stuff that, I mean, the new Jack and Mustafa stuff, I guess, is, is meaningful in some way because you've got some prior storyline stuff. But after that, there's about 15 minutes of meaninglessness as well as the match you've just had as well. So I can completely understand why, you know, anyone would be fatigued by the end. It's it is a little bit kind of there's just a lot. There's just a heck of a lot going on. And it's a lot of time that they they eat into during this this segment. A measure of how long (laughs) that lasted is that I've gone a whole like cut through two pages of notes during that. (laughs) Turn that uh, that stuff. So we have a hype video building up to uh, Shane Douglas and Dreamers match against the Impact players. During the video here, Francine takes a heck of a nasty cane shot to the face at one point because um, I think it's uh, just incredible is aiming for Shane Douglas and she pushes Douglas out of the way and takes the, the cane shot herself. Then, then a sad electric guitar starts Aww. to play. And, and honestly, I was like. This this should be played over the top of the big show promo for a few weeks back <laughs> because it was properly like it is properly sad and like as as stereotype sad as you could ever imagine an electric guitar solo being um, and that all promotes the next match. Any thoughts on this video package? That the guitar it's something else, man. It's beautiful. I I want I want that in the background of every single episode that we do from now on, just playing. <laughs> it, it, it is so good. It's all, it's better. And it, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's better than the sad Undertaker theme that they play on montages. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh, what a tune. Also, it's accompanied by the slow-mo video. Yeah. So they, I'll be honest, my immediate theme was weird sexy music because <laughs> they have the slow-mo it's like the um it's not like it because the style of music is completely different, but there's a sex scene in the Terminator. <laughs> the first one. And it's a piano version of the and they uh they're having sex to that and that was what I thought of when I watched this and then there's the cane shot to the face and I was like, Oh, that's kinda of ruined that moment for me. The way I would describe it is the the guitar thing is the is the intro to Summer Breeze by the Eiley brothers, but in a minor in a minor key it's like the, the intro to summer breeze by the icy brothers if i tried to play it <laughs> <laughs> that's that is also relevant too so that gives us the impact players versus tommy dreamer and shane douglas a match which goes uh 18 minutes and 58 seconds or basically 19 minutes and ends when uh, douglas pins just incredible after a pittsburgh plunge which is basically a fisherman buster uh where are we going to go first i think we'll go with tom seeing as the old man's did his big rant the last <laughs> for the last bit <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest you're not going to get much from me from this because i just i find it really boring i just didn't didn't enjoy it as much i've never got tommy dreamer i've never got i'll be honest i, I preferred shane douglas when he was dean douglas <laughs> you know much much better teacher than wrestler in my opinion um 
just, I don't know. I just don't get it. I just don't. I've never seen. I've never got either of them. I think the impact players are great. I think that like, oh, just incredible is is a great kind of obnoxious, annoying heel. Um, I think that like it's Lance Storm's a great wrestler, but I just didn't give a shit about this. I didn't care about it. I didn't think the match was good enough to warrant it. I fucking hated the end. I hated that the post match when um, Cy- Silas comes down, Cyrus comes down, and they do that, and then they beat up Francine. And I just thought it, the match was shit, and I hated the ending. Good, old man. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but it's long. A bit like Tom, I loathed the end. I I didn't like the end, but going back to the match, when the referee's an absolute fucking joke. There's double teams, there's people coming into the ring. This guy's the senior official, apparently. Fucking embarrassing. Absolute <laughs> embarrassment. It's always nice to see Lance Storm. I was quite a big Lance Storm fan, just because I think he's, he's just very tidy. But that doesn't make for extraordinarily exciting viewing. I don't think in particular in this setting, because I think, like, quite understandably, I think the crowd are a little bit spent at this point. We've just had the long continuous segment they've probably also not had the joy of listening to the slow guitar solo (laughs) (laughs) there's a lovely bit where old just incredible is getting his eyes gouged by by old bert douglas or whatever his name is (laughs) (laughs) he's screaming for mercy which is lovely and they they just work together quite well I think Tommy Dreamer is rubbish. Like, he's always been rubbish. But he does what he does very well, which is kind of take punishment, really. He's kind of like a bargain basement Hulk Hogan, isn't he? In that he can take all the punishment you can give out, but he isn't really capable of giving the big finish, unfortunately. The crowd, as I said, is struggling. There's a suplex on the ramp, which looks pretty brutal. The crowd just do not react, and I don't think they really recover from it there's also like the um towards the end there's kind of like a fake turn by old buster douglas <laughs> and it's done so quickly that there's no effect it's kind of like one of those where if you switch your brain off for four seconds you've missed that whole thing and it doesn't really work but then we do get it where he gives a double noggin knocker which is how Joey Styles calls it, which I thought is a lovely thing. <laughs> and old, old Buster does shout, fuck these fuckers, just before he does Which is, which is lovely. Then Bueller gets in, and then Francine gets in. Landstorm pushes Francine down, which is just a bit unnecessarily unnecessary. Then Francine buggers off, comes back with a ladder. I don't quite know why. And I think it's half a ladder as well. I don't think it's um, it's actually a full ladder. There's a DDT by, I think is by old uh, Tommy Dreamer on someone into a low blow. And then there's another low blow to Lance Storm. <laughs> but this time, <laughs> Tommy Dreamer gets punched by Just Incredible and falls into his groin. These are the kind of things I think they probably should have done earlier in the match, just to kind of try and get a bit of fun into it. Uh, Yeah, and then Francine kicks someone in the head. Old Buster Douglas does his finisher, and then that's it. And yeah, and then Cyrus comes down for some reason. Cyrus the virus. And he headbutts Francine in the groin. 
that was a very strange bit of this this whole thing um but I'm, I'm actually with you on this one i found this really deathly dull um to the point where my notes are effectively with what crap what chants were being chanted by the crowd so in the early going first five minutes there's a fuck you canada chant <laughs> yeah to landstorm there's finally a, there's a she's a crack whore chant to um well she's called to dawn marie who is pretending to be beulah mcgillicuddy who had been tommy dreamer um and previously raven's um kind of valet um there's a rick flair sucks chant yeah that annoyed me that annoyed me because without rick flair none of those fucking cunts would have watched any wrestling (laughs) and that was specifically aimed at shane douglas because obviously douglas and flair for a very long time had a quite real personal dislike for one another um that was mainly uh just words really more than anything else i know side i want and then finally there was a dirty pussy chant which i (laughs) i have i'm assuming was once again aimed at dawn marie but why Uh... goodness knows yeah i mean it was just it was just overly long 19 minutes for this was just way way too much for a match that i think ultimately was there almost to try and calm the crowd down before the main event even though this is probably one of the matches with the most star power in it on the show and also has a a genuine storyline running into it but yeah i mean uh, it was just a bit of nothing one thing i couldn't and i meant to say this when we were talking we got a bit distracted by the slow guitar solo guitar solo if you will <laughs> um even with the video package i couldn't understand what this match was about so effectively shane douglas was leaving ecw he'd had enough of being late, paid late uh, and he'd had a fallen out with paul Heyman. He was leaving ECW and he'd always been called the franchise of ECW. Uh, and he was kind of passing the torch, the, the franchise torch to somebody else. He was then kind of interrupted by the impact players who claimed that they were going to be one of them was going to be the franchise. They had a little bit of an argument with each other about who was going to be the franchise. And then Shane Douglas informed them that, no, Tommy Dreamer was going to be the man who would carry the mantle from now on. And that was Fuck effectively what this was about. Yeah. Not not exactly the best. I mean, it feeds into something else I wanted to talk about, because during this match, you see on the hard camp side, a sign that says uh, WCW contract. Who's next? And this was very much in reference to the fact that, I mean, obviously, we'd already had back in 97 Raven and Stevie Richards and the public enemy had originally been the first kind of ECW act that had gone over to WCW. Um, but in 1990, the end of 98 in the early 99, Bam Bam Bigelow had gone. Um, Mikey Whipwreck had been signed by WCW and the Sandman had been signed by WCW and he turned up as Hack, hardcore Hack in, the, in, EC, in WCW. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shit that's a favorite name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so effectively, that's why you don't see the Sandman or Raven or any of those other guys as well on this show because they'd already gone by this point. And Shane Douglas was the latest one. He was off to WCW. Um, and then obviously later in the year, WWF would also lose Taz and the Dudley boys to the WWF. But, but yeah, that was just another part of this as well is that kind of in amongst all of this was ecw trying to cope with losing almost on a kind of regular basis one of their most well-known talents and it was just something they were always going to struggle with all the way through their history basically can i just go back into this into this match again it was one of those things so i'd watched it on i had had the day off on friday and i watched the majority of it on friday and my wife came home from work and i as soon as this match, I was finishing off, and I just finished watching the the abomination that was the Dudley Boys angle. And then, as soon as the Impact players and Shane Douglas and Tommy Dreamer came out, and there were 
women coming out with them, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to watch this with her next to me because she's going to be like, what the fuck are you watching? Because I knew <laughs> that they were going to get beaten up or one of them was going to get beaten up at some point and it's the idea of it to make me feel uncomfortable. So I'm bloody glad I didn't, if I'm being honest, because it's one of those things where you're like, like I thought that, I think that kind of thing is so shit and it really annoys me. They obviously... WWE brought that in as well, didn't they? From WCW, where they like we talked about, like the you know the thing with May Young the other week, and the um, and then later on, like the Dudley Boys are putting like Stacy Keebler through tables and stuff like that. It's all very, it's just not nice, is it? It's not nice to watch. I don't know why it. Well, it's just misogynistic, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's basically is, and it's not done in a way that you know. I think there's a way to do this stuff where you treat it as this is the heel do something doing something awful that shouldn't they shouldn't do, and then you know, a baby face of some kind, whether it's a man or a woman, gets their revenge on them in some way. That is kind of okay. But ECW and later WWE, in fact, probably not even later by this point, probably during this period, were just, you know, having people commit acts of violence on women as a almost like as a way to get the crowd to pop, as you yeah. know, as a way to like get them happy and cheering. And then that that's where it kind of crosses a boundary into this is just misogyny. It's not yeah. it's not it's not right at all. It's just wrong. Okay. Um now we'll we'll get off our soapbox for just a moment and we'll proceed with all the right. rest now of the I'm show. staying up here. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a backstage interview with referee John Finnegan by uh, again by Stephen Prazak who then who, who asks him about the strange decision that he was going to make to offer uh, Jerry Lynn the title. Rob Van Dam then interrupts and offers Jerry Lynn a rematch at Hardcore Heaven ECW's next pay-per-view. Then we have our main event, Taz versus Sabu, where we have both the ECW world title and the FTW title on the line. The FTW title, is worth mentioning, was a belt that was brought in by Taz uh, in, in the previous year. Basically, what had happened is Shane Douglas had been injured for the vast majority of the previous year, and he'd been the champion. And so in his absence, Taz had brought in this FTW title to show that he was the true world champion because he couldn't actually beat Douglas for the title. Taz would then beat Douglas for the title of Guilty as Charged, but prior to that point, Sabu had beaten Taz for the FTW title. So this was kind of uh, essentially their way of getting rid of the FTW World Heavyweight title. It was also the thing that basically inspired WWE to do the um, WWE Championship against the um, Steve Austin special belt thing at Backlash in, in the same year, like about a month after this. It lasts another 18 minutes and ends when Taz makes Sabu pass out to the Taz mission. Uh, oh man, your thoughts on this one? It kind of, this exemplifies everything. I think that, like, kind of touched upon earlier in the show. I th- genuinely think if this match had gone the time it does, and they'd cut a third of what they do, and it would have been great because they don't nothing. Nothing means anything. That's what bothered me about this is that it just doesn't mean anything. Like Taz at the start, Taz's real name is Peter which is good. And Sabu's real name is Terry. So we got a Terry and Peter. <laughs> so Peter at the start makes it a false count anywhere. Extreme death match. Terry obviously says, yeah, because why wouldn't you? So Peter works over Terry's chin, which obviously he's going to do, which is fair enough. Then they do some shenanigans with the ramp going into the crowd. There's a lot of chin based attack, which obviously makes sense, but isn't where it doesn't make for the great spectacle and yeah it's just not particularly good like at one point peter runs off bill alfonso's come down something and won't stop blowing his fucking whistle <laughs> like it's really like, getting on me tits 
Peter runs him out the back, and then Joey Styles is like, yeah, 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 he needs to get back there. Come straight back out. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a good consequence, is there? No. And um, there's some nice stuff, but again, there's the problem is there's just no there's no consequence of any action within the match for any of the offense that either Peter does to Terry or Terry does to Peter. It's just kind of there's no patience, there's no drama. And I think with our match being 18 minutes, you need, I don't know how you boys feel about this, but I think any match that's longer than probably about eight minutes, you kind of need a journey of sorts. You kind of need a couple of ups and downs, peaks and troughs, so that you can kind of go on the little journey, go on the story that they're telling. And they just don't have this, unfortunately, because I think there is probably a very, very good match in this. But Peter and Terry just they rush everything, unfortunately. See, I, I thought out of all the matches on the on the pay per view, this is one did have a bit of a story, and that Bill Alfonso kept trying to throw in the towel, which I quite liked. Mm. I'm going to be honest here, full transparency. When I watched this match, it was about eleven o'clock on Friday, and I had a couple of beers. By that point. <laughs> and I actually quite enjoyed this match watching it. I think if I would started the pay per view a bit half pissed. I'd have a completely different opinion of it. <laughs> um, I, I like Taz, I like seeing Taz, as you said earlier, Tiki, in a way in which he's not presented in WWE. Thinking back to that fucking dreadful match that he had with um, El, uh, what's his name? Was it was it with Bossman? It wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it with um, El Grande Jefe Hombre. The I think that it was just like the way he was presented in that was just that, like he was a bit of a dumb guy who couldn't 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 do anything. But in this, he was presented as like a genuine threat. I've always quite liked Sabu as well because almost in, in the complete opposite way that I enjoy watching Rob Van Dam is that Rob Van Dam everything looks controlled, whereas everything looks completely wild and chaotic with Sabu, and and he's got such a a cool, interesting look, and there's just something so different about him. I, I, I quite enjoyed it actually, but as I said, with that caveat, I was quite pissed. The match ends obviously when um when the Taz chokes out Sabu, and and then they have a little handshake at the end of it to a chorus of booze. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I was with him as well because that didn't make any sense. Like Taz has been on about he's going to break Sabu's jaw. It gets mentioned a lot. He then works over his jaw. And then Taz then offers the handshake. It was just a bit like, I kind of get it. But can you really do that when you've been threatening to break someone's jaw? He was telling Jay Rayner how he was going to break his jaw a couple of hours before. <laughs> and then he shakes his hand. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that the idea was we're, we're drawing a line under this feud because the feud has been going on effectively for two years or more than that, actually, by this point. Oh, and I think... Me. I think the idea was that we are we are drawing a line under this now. This is the first time they've ever faced each other for the title. They've had multiple matches. They headlined, as they talk about during the show, they headlined the first ever ECW pay-per-view for a match that had been on the cards for a long time, but was their first actual match against each other. And then they'd intermittently had matches and, and, and continued their feud for such a long time. And this was kind of like the end of it. So I think that was the idea is to sort of say to everyone, it, we're done with this now, it's over. I struggled through it. I didn't think it was a great match. And I think partially the problem was 
that they followed the previous tag team match because that was a long boring match and then this was another match where again they tried to give it a more serious feel than a lot of the stuff they'd done before but because we just come through a 19 minute match which is supposed to be a little bit more serious than what had come before i think it really struggled i think if again this would be for me where the perfect place you know if antifaz del norte versus versus nunzio had been in this this bit here i think we'd have been fine. I think that would have calmed everyone down. They could have got the boring chance out of them as well, which they probably wanted to to do. Um, and it would have just got everyone prepared for the main event. But I just think, as I do with all the shows, I watched it in one go. And I think that's what really made this struggle was just following that tag team match. It just made it a bit more of a struggle. But it was fine. It was okay. It just wasn't, it didn't have the the impact I was hoping it, it would have. Overall, I, I said it, I was a couple of beers that I reckon ECW pay-per-views are probably a lot more fun when you're a bit pissed let's talk about the overall and your score and your match of the night tom why don't you you were on the way there anyway so why don't you go for it yeah i mean i think i'll be honest in reality is the match the, the, the match that i probably enjoyed the most was the first match was to jerry or yoshihiro to jerry versus uh that, that cunt whatever his name was <laughs> super crazy um, super I, crazy yeah. super crazy <laughs> I, I thought that was quite a fun match um uh, that was probably the best match of the night. Overall thoughts. Do you know what? The, the, I just can't get over how long it felt. That was the thing for me. Like I didn't, I didn't sit there and watch it and hate it. This wasn't like Fastlane 2017. Like I didn't, I didn't sit there and get angered by how boring and shit it was. But it just felt so long. And I wonder if that is because of just this kind of similar aspects of the match. I also think as well, and I know it's not necessarily their problem, but I struggle with the bad production value as well. Like, I struggle with the fact that, like, you, the opening credits to the pay-per-view, the opening montage starts for the pay-per-view and then it just cuts off abruptly and Super Crazy's coming down because the timing's off and stuff like that. And I do I do struggle with that. And when you're conditioned to watching wrestling in the way that WWF slash WWE have presented it nearly your entire life, it always looks less when you, when you watch something else, when that's what you're used to. I think I'd probably give it a four. Um, it's not the worst to watch. I will never watch this again. I might watch it again for the sad guitar solo. <laughs> but um, I would never watch it again for any of the any of the in ring action. And yeah, that's that's kind of my my final thoughts on it. Your turn, old man. Your thoughts. Okay. I th- I think we all know that I didn't particularly enjoy this. But like, kind of how I laid out at the start, like it's just there's just a lot of stuff that i'm not very comfortable watching now that as a what would i have been 15 16 year old i would have lapped up i would have absolutely lapped up a lot of this um it the match in the night is old jez and rob i think uh in spite of the somewhat clunky ending and also the crowd being general burks um i will give it a three out of ten so the ratings mainly are based on Jay Rayner being on the show. Um, oh, and the side guitar solo. And also the classic move that I always love to see, the blow job into a low blow. <laughs> classic. Yeah. I'll tell you what I do it, and I not thought about this until you were talking about it, Tinky. So you've got the two longer matches, longer serious type matches at the end. That would have also been the perfect place to put this porn star nonsense as well mm. like that would have been a great place to put that what probably lasted maybe four or five minutes when they actually did it like that would have been a perfect place for it because it's kind of like it's a happy story isn't it? you get porn star getting stunned and then blow job into low blow lovely old job take take the night off but you couldn't do that because 
obviously Francine's involved in the tag match. I've just talked myself out of it. I've talked myself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there we go. Old man, booking on the fly as ever. Um, <laughs> it's not that fucking easy, is it, old man? Eh? It's not. It's not. I'm sorry, Paul Heyman. Uh, yeah, my thoughts. So I, I, I'm giving this a six. I'm giving this a six out of ten. Well, I no. thought, fucking get out. Get out. Get out of your own house. I thought in the same way a Saturday night's main event was just an hour of entertainment. This was just a three hours of entertainment. There wasn't, and I'm not going to say there's anything massively um, memorable or amazing about it. Although I did think the Rob Van Dam Jerry Lynn match was very, very good, but it was just, it, for me, it didn't feel that similar. I did feel they hit lots of different notes. I felt like you got every bit of what ECW is about here. You got some wrestling early on. You got the, as I said, the high spot kind of art fest that I kind of have called it the Rob Van Dam Jerry Lynn thing which is very different to pretty much anything you'll ever see there's very few matches that are like the matches Van Dam and Jerry Lynn had um there's the sort of big fight at the end feel that Taz is supposed to kind of conjure up which didn't which fell a little bit short in this in this particular occasion but that was the idea behind what he did there was the the silliness with the Dudley boys and Spike Dudley and Sid there was the madness of new jack in probably about the best thing i've seen new jack do because as i say usually it's even more messy and even more kind of pointless than than what they did here so i just thought it just hit everything you could want from me it's the ecw show i'm not saying it's the best ecw show you'll ever see i'm not saying it's the worst for me it just this is what i think of when i think of ecw and i think if you are going out your way to buy this pay-per-view at the time or you're going to attend the show this is exactly what you were wanting and what tom said about probably it would have been better if you were like if you're a little bit pissed when you watch it i think that's exactly what this is there's a lot of people for example that go to watch football just to get drunk and uh, have a few drinks with the lads the football match itself means very little to them they, they sort of go along and they cheer along but what they're there for really is the piss up i think that's what ecw was in large amounts of the fan base is just like let's get pissed up let's go into the into the show Let's let's chant whatever what we want. You know, we'll see loads of crazy shit and then we'll go and have more drink. And and that's probably what it was. So, you know, I, I don't think it was a bad show. I just I don't think it was a great show. I just think it was a bit average, which, you know, for me is a six out of ten. That's what I would give an average show, which is why I have given it that rating here. My match tonight is obviously Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn. because I thought it was uh, I thought it was excellent. We haven't done the Luke Gallows pod. Well, I'm just about to do that. That's the next thing we're going to do, because it is time for the luke gallows podcast within a podcast because it is time for episode three of this uh stunning extra addition to the random wrestling review and we are still awaiting uh old man's news so we asked him a couple of weeks ago why festus became uh luke gallows in terms of why he changed his name when he moved from being festus to luke gallows and uh we're all uh waiting with bated breath in anticipation for what is sure to be a stunning revelation old man okay so let's take you back 11th of May 2007 on Smackdown a vignette aired where Luke Gallows was going to be repackaged as Festus Dalton as part of a southern gimmick alongside fellow uh, WWE talent Ray Gordy any relation of Terry yes I think so and he's uh, that, that's who was Jesse isn't it so yeah anyway they when are you, when we say he's a relation of Terry we don't mean of Sabu we mean of Terry Gordy yeah that's true yeah or or Terry Runnels no <laughs> Yeah, or, or indeed anybody else called Terry. And it's not my uncle Terry either. I don't want people, want people getting confused because it's bloody difficult. Or by thought... any relation to Triple H when he was terrorizing. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. So for a couple of years, they have a wonderful time. They're a great tag team. 
one thing that people will notice if they ever get, well, if they ever, of course they bloody do. They probably don't know weekly the dirty sods. But if you go back and watch the Jesse and Festus back catalogue, older Luke Gallows, he's significantly larger in terms of weight than he is now. So I'm glad that he sorted himself out. But obviously that comes with smarter brain. You put better food in your body, don't you? Whereas he's obviously portrayed to be a little bit slow at this point. So on April the 15th, 2009, Festus was drafted to Raw as part of the 2009 supplemental draft in WWE, separated from his uh, tag team partner. And then by the looks of it, pretty much immediately, it disappears for three months. And then on the November 27th, 2009 episode of SmackDown, turns up as Luke Gallows. Well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's literally it. He just turns up and that's it. Well, that was well worth the three week wait for yeah. uh, the explanation. Um, yeah, I mean, revelatory stuff here. Um, we, we will we'll see if there is going to be an episode four of the Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast. But after that, how can we possibly follow it? I, I'm not sure we can. There is obviously to give a recap for the listener. There is obviously he joined CM Punk in the Straight Edge Society. And the insinuation is, is that Gallows family and friends. I'm guessing they're putting Jesse in with this. Uh, enabled his, as uh, it's per alcoholic inclination. Mm. Yeah. He loved a booze. And apparently he's a right laugh when he's at a beer. So the suggestion was that rather than being drugged, as it appeared to be whilst he was with Fester, uh, with Jesse, sorry, that actually he was just mildly drunk most of the time. Yes, which contradicts what I have heard on something, which I thought was the Bruce Pritchard podcast, but maybe not. But yeah, basically, Pisshead, when he was with Jesse, left, went with CM Punk, straight edge, and he had not back. Also, I'm sorry, I've kind of gone a bit deep now. Luke Gallows uh, debuted a new finisher on... You've just given away episode four. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's all right. I can, I can talk about Luke Gallows in terms of bloody cows coming. But I can talk about them when the cows are on the way out and then while they're coming back and then while they're coming. You can talk about them until they come home and they get turned into a massive leather jacket that Sally Gresson yeah. can uh, <laughs> wear. Yeah, so his finishing move was called the 12th step, which I never knew. <laughs> and that's why I had to say it, because that's tremendous. Basically, it's just a great little story. It's all great, apart from the point that we were specifically focusing on that we've been waiting for for the last two weeks, which is how Festus went from changing his name from Festus to Luke Gallows, which yeah. apparently is completely unexplained. That's fine. Yeah. We'll draw a line under it. It's done. Well, bloody hell, someone's a bit stroppy, aren't they? Well, well I was expecting well, much more from it, if I'm honest. Yeah, I kind of helped feel a little bit disappointed. Basically, I think that during all of that revelation and then Tom and Tinky's reactions that we should have the sad guitar solo. <laughs> so uh, next up, as promised, is the uh, rundown of the, the uh, shows we've had so far. So we've now had 10 shows and we've got a league table for the Random Wrestling Review uh, of the top 10. So I will just run them down pretty quickly. Starting with number 10, uh, you won't be surprised to find out. Number 10 is WCW sold out 1997 with an average rating of two. Exactly. 
Um, number nine is WWE Fastlane 2017. 2.67 is the uh, average rating for that one. Uh, ECW Living Dangerously 1999 then we've just done is equal seventh with WWE Royal Rumble 1995, our first episode, a rating of 4.33. Um, number six is NWA Clash of the Champions 5, St. Valentine's Massacre, with a rating of five, ably assisted by Tom Smith's high rating for that one. Um, number five, WWE Elimination Chamber 2013 with a rating of six. In fact, that's joint fourth, I should say, with WWE's Royal Rumble 2021. So this year's Rumble. Number three is WWF's No Way Out 2000. And it's actually, again, that is joint second, I should say, with WWE Saturday Night's Main Event 15 from March 1988. Both of those have 6.67 as their average rating. But number one so far, WWE Royal Rumble 1992, a rating of 7.33. So it's going to take some beating, no yeah, doubt. That's absolutely smashed all the other ones, isn't it? Mm. It has got almost a whole rating higher on average. You, than you know what, as well? I'm quite impressed with this because I don't know about you boys, but I kind of forget. Well, you don't, obviously, thinking because you've got a spreadsheet. But I kind of forget what ratings I've given for previous shows. So I'm very much shooting from the hip in more yeah. ways than one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm quite quite impressed by how excellent i am at rating things <laughs> yeah, so there's a consistency that we're really good at isn't there? yeah yeah <laughs> uh before we uh get our final bit of the of today's business um which is the game of course i'm going to do one last plug obviously we've got uh, a youtube channel where you can find all kinds of content including reviews of shows not covered on this podcast and also if you like the show and would like more people to find us please give us a review and rate us on your podcasting app of choice thomas it's time for the game and you are our host what have you got for us okay boys so i'm not gonna lie i forgot i'd forgotten i was hosting it (laughs) so i had a quick scrabble around went through the memory banks and 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 dusted this little lad off so i have raw authority figures oh god (laughs) um there are 33 in total i am not including guest hosts fine when they went through that awful period when they did guest hosts these are authority figures in the history of raw since 1993 since its debut episode wow. so sorry tell light there are 32 because one of the options here is various guest hosts so i'm going to delete that <laughs> so, um so i will go with tinky first oh bloody hell <laughs> uh eric bischoff that is correct i'm not gonna lie that's probably almost me done <laughs> uh, really yeah i'm really not good at this uh, mr mcmahon Yep, that is correct. I wonder if he's on a... No, he's not on it twice. I wonder if he'd be on it under Vince and Mr. But no, it's just Vince Man. There we go. Uh, William Regal. Correct. Blackpool Zone. Uh, Shane O'Mac. Yes. Shane McMahon is on there. It's Shane O'Mac! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, honestly, um, this is not, not my thing at all. Uh, Mick Foley. Correct. He's He's been at loads. He's had it loads of times. Yeah. Michael. Uh, the McMahon Helmsley era. Mm. So to put this into context, it is anybody who has been part as well of a team. So, for example, there are no there are no groups here, only individuals. Mm. But they could have been part of a duo. So, for example, um, I'm trying to think. They they could have, if if there were two people who were running the company or as authority figures, they are both considered a correct answer each. 
individually. So with that context in mind, I should have explained that earlier, would you like to take your guess now, old man? Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. That's correct. Well, I've got Triple H, but I'll let you have that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's a harsh one. Um, Well, Stephanie then. Yeah, there we go. The anonymous rule general manager. (laughs) That is correct. You've got him. Also, yes, who was revealed to be? Hornswoggle. Correct. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) Um, Kurt Angle. Correct. Kurt Angle, who cannot say WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to take a punt. Shawn Michaels. Correct. Commissioner. Okay. um, Jack Tunney. Yes, there he is. The charisma vacuum himself. (laughs) This is going to be tough. There's some big names left out there, lads. We got a time limit on this or what? I'm going to have to. Yeah, I'm going to just go Hogan. No, I'm afraid Hulk Hogan was never an authority figure. Uh, I didn't think so. Okay, I think I've got a few more. So they started to come to me after a little while. So Gorilla Monsoon. Correct. Um, Ric Flair. Let's Ric Flair. (laughs) Uh, Steve Austin. Yep, co-managed with Eric Bischoff. Yeah, I think Jonathan Coachman. The coach, yes, the 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 coach house. Now this is where Kane maybe. Yep. Oh, this is he's too good. I then had some people that I don't think were actually the authority figures, but kind of assisted. So I've got Val Venus, for example, which I'm pretty sure assisted somebody for a while. No, but I don't no. think he actually was the commissioner or anything. So I was pretty much out then. I, I've got Vicky Guerrero on the list, but I was like, she yep. did SmackDown. Oh, she did. Is she there? Yep. I thought she was only SmackDown, but there you go. Right. So I've got there's quite a few. There's another SmackDown, long time SmackDown one. Theodore Teddy Long. Long. Teddy Long was apparently a Raw general manager. Sergeant Slaughter. Uh-huh. Mike Adamley. Oh. Uh, John Laurinaitis. Yeah. John Cena, apparently. Mm. <laughs> this we're getting we're gonna get we get some absolute dirt the, the earlier in the alphabet we get. Eve Torres, <laughs> Donald Trump, Deborah, David Otunga. <laughs> Fucking hell. Bret Hart. <laughs> Don't remember Brad that. Maddox. Brad Maddox, yeah. Baron Corbin. Oh, Barry. AJ Lee and Adam Pierce. Oh, of course, oh, Adam yeah. Pierce. Of course he is. Yeah. Who, I, who I believe is the current authority figure on Raw of some kind. Yeah. There we go. That was that was good, lads. I mean, I'll be honest, old man. I'm a little bit disappointed with you, and I think you should be a bit disappointed with yourself. But um, well, I, think... I, I suppose the problem is is that an authority figure is quite a wishy-washy subject <laughs> because there's no specific title. Well, no, you're right, you're right. I mean, it's it's a tough one. It was a tough one, uh, you know, but I'm still counting oh, it, so I won. Oh, Tinky with Damon with faint praise. Oh, it was a tough one, as he had 700 up his sleeve. <laughs> whilst I was scrambling around going, Shawn Michaels. He was, he was one, though. He was the commissioner, or Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I know, but I was fucking angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's reasons not to be angry, because next week we begin our WrestleMania season. So that should get everyone back into the mood. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, and always remember Kemper Terra. <laughs> and Tom, <laughs> Tom, Tom's lost it, so have I. Uh, and Tom, also thank you for joining us for Sunday night's main event today. Thank you very much. So yeah, until we get there though, take care, and we'll see you next week.